to celebrate the incredible character that you did create, I thought I would get you a present. Oh, great. Right? And this is not like a very nice present. <laughs> it's something I made this morning before the podcast. Wow, that's great. Unwittingly, you've tapped into something that happened hugely in around 2016, 2017, or when people were demonstrating against Zuma. What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Wide Away Podcast. My name is Josh Rubin, and I'm your host. Today, I have such a special guest. His name is Zapiro. He's also commonly known as Jonathan, <laughs> which is his real name. Uh, Zapiro is his pseudonym, and he is South Africa's most well-known and feared cartoonist. <laughs> welcome to the studio. Thank you. So, I mean, just to start off with, I want to know, where does the name Zapiro come from? Um, well, my... my, my Real by its real surname is Shapiro, mm. common or garden Jewish surname, S H A P I R O. So that was uh, me until I got to high school. And when I got to standard six, grade eight, uh, there was a, a guy at school called Martin Shapiro, who was one of those kind of people that everybody knew. Mm -hmm. He was a very nice guy. He was a prefect in those days and he was a uh, good at sport he was good at academics he was nice to the younger kids mm. you know one of those kind of guys and uh, his name was Shapiro but people called him Zap because his name was spelt S-Z-A-P-I-R-O it's the it's the Polish way and I you know people didn't necessarily know how I spelt my name and they thought I was his brother and they started calling me Zap as well and I thought, well, I, I was already doing cartoons, so mm. I, I thought, well, that's a nice little moniker to put on my cartoons. So even the cartoons and, and characters I did mm. at school, they were all signed Zap. And I, I, even when I went through university studying architecture, um, when I did a few things here and there for the left, I wasn't very much an activist or anything yet. Um, I, and and satire, the bits of satire that I did of my architectural lecturers and the head of the school and whatnot, all signed at Zap. And even when I started doing things for political organizations, and that was, you know, over a decade later, so kind of 1983 really is when I started. And um, I signed them Zap and then uh, suddenly thought, well, perhaps that's a little flippant. I was drawing a cartoon of a policeman shooting dead pe people in a stadium and a stadium in, in Dansani in the Eastern Cape. I thought, well, that may feel a little bit sort of California surfboard-ish. Mm. And um, I thought, well, maybe I must pull the rest of my name in, which was kind of hard to do because the zap was yeah. done in a particular <laughs> sort of zappy way. And then I had to find another way graphically. I spent an afternoon figuring it out. And the moment I put that thing down, that's a period, people really seemed to remember it mm. and it became... I mean, it is a legendary name, and I remember the name from when I was a kid. And I didn't know who you were, but all I knew was these funny, insane cartoons that were so refreshing and different um, and ballsy. I mean, you have to have balls to publish what you publish. Yeah, thanks. I, you know, I've, 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 first of all, I'm one of those cartoonists, and there are many of us. Uh, it's not, I'm, I'm not alone. Mm. Who, who are not there to 
necessarily provide a laugh or just uh, you know provide humor about a situation i'm a i, I believe in advocacy i uh, believe in, in in cartoons as as communication mm. as as um i'm i'm a visual journalist that's what i am so there are cartoonists there are you know there is sort of old school mm. cartoonists who were out there to kind of just make light of the situation uh, but there were always people um from the beginning of, of of cartooning, really, I suppose, is a kind of 18th century kind of period where there were people who were doing really, really interesting, powerful satire all the way through then the 19th and 20th century and into the 21st. And I'm part of that kind of genre of cartooning. Mm. Um, so I, I I always wanted to do that. The other thing is, I you know, I have a struggle background and... Um, my, my, I was really schooled in those days of the, the, the United Democratic Front, which is about to celebrate its its, its 40th anniversary now. And the, the UDF was a kind of above ground version of the of the ANC. And um, uh, it's I, I really feel bad that the UDF's structures were dissolved by the ANC when, when the moment the ANC mm. was unbanned. Uh, it took them a very short time to dissolve the structures of the UDF. And and that kind of politics is where I come from, and that's that's what I've tried to get across in the cartoons. And when I started doing cartoons in the, you know, just post democracy, having having done that as an activist, but when I started doing cartoons in mainstream publications in Sowetan, in Mail and Guardian, uh, in the Sunday Times, mm. before all the rest, I really wanted to have that kind of ability to try and speak across cultural and racial and 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 age divides mm. and that's what i aim for and it seemed to work it seemed uh, you know, actually it definitely did work yeah. i mean like i said as a kid on my way to school you we would be talking about this and looking at your cartoons and mm. um i mean you, you mentioned activism just now mm. yeah your activism activism really started i mean you were you started towards the end of apartheid right Yes, because I, well, well, actually, it was I mean, when you joined the army. Uh, yes, and I mean, and I wouldn't call it towards the end of of a, of a part uh, apartheid. Actually, because if you think about that, when um, I mean the the period in which I was a, a, a sort of a latent activist, uh, uh, doing the odd thing here mm. and there for uh, student publications and and all that. I mean, I did things in the late seventies okay. and in the early eighties. Um, I, I have you know the first cartoons i did for anything political mm -hmm. was was then and when i w while i was trying to avoid the army and when i was pulled into the army it was still 1982 that's a hell of a long okay, time that's a long time before, before yeah and and that's what turned me it, it it was that real that moment of 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 finding that i couldn't stay out of the army anymore and i i just didn't feel i had the wherewithal to go to jail for 6 years because uh, that's the repercussions if you don't go. Sure. Yeah, that that was the sentence. To go to the army for two years, or go to jail for six years, or leave the country, You're or gonna go choose the army ground, or whatever. Can you tell me about your time in the army? Because you were a conscientious objector. I was not a full conscientious object objector, which I would have been later. I would have. I would have entertained that idea mm. um, and and then and thought about the possibility of actually going to jail for for six years. But when I went in, um, I had I had been studying architecture, and I studied, I was at architectural school from 1977 to uh, 1981. 
1981, I was doing my practical year. I went out to try and meet some, when I was doing my practical year, I tried to meet some famous cartoonists overseas. I'd met a couple of them, mm. Albert Udeza, I can tell you the story, and I tried to meet Hergé, who did Tintin. And 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 I thought I, I came back and I said to my parents, look, I really have to change courses and 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 do cartooning. Although I was a bit nervous about the army, mm. I changed courses, and there's a whole long story around that. But eventually, the army would not give me deferment, and with three weeks to go, they sent me a big file. I mean, a, a letter with a stamp on it saying this this we've heard this case a number of times. You're not getting deferment. Three weeks. In three weeks' time, mm. you you report for your your call up. So that was catastrophic. I, I actually kind of didn't believe it would happen. So at that point, I, I that's almost what turned me into an activist. I thought, oh my god, I I I I, st- I had already started doing graphic design at Michaelis at the the uh, um, the the art school attached to the University of Cape Town. Yeah, I know Michaelis. Yeah. yeah. And um, and I was doing very well all of a sudden because I hadn't done hell of a well as an architectural student because I just wasn't focused on it. Mm. And uh, anyway, I I just went to try and get myself as fit as I could because I knew that I was going to then refuse. I just decided I'd refuse to carry a gun. So you become what they some people call a conscientious non-combatant. Mm. Have and, you seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge? Yes. So. With him, yeah, it, uh, his name was Desmond Doss, the real guy. Yes, um, and it was based on a true story about yeah. a, a man that went to the army. He wanted to be a medic, mm. um, and they said that he had to carry a gun. But yep. because of his beliefs, he was a conscientious objector, and he was also very religious. Yeah, he didn't want to carry a gun. Yeah, um, did you get a lot of backlash for being even a little bit outspoken oh, against it? Absolutely. So there are two things that were very, there are two things that were kind of different about that. I mean, the, 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 the beginning of that process where, where they, where they kind of like try to turn people against him and where they kind of treated him like shit and they, and, 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 and that, that was very, 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 very similar to the experience that I had. Can you tell me about that? Absolutely. Yeah, I would love to hear about they, that. You see, the 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 uh, so the two differences were, were the one that he had a religious background, um, and I uh, that that was what got him to be a conscientious objector, mm. a, a religion that said that that gave him some sort of license to be a conscientious object, objector. The other, uh, or, or to be a, a non-combatant, you know, to be there but a non-combatant. The mm. other, there's an, there are a couple of other things. First, he was he was serving um, uh, willingly. Because he wanted to, you know, fight against fascism. Yeah, but he signed up for the army. That's right. Willingly, yes. he just didn't want to carry a gun. And the th- and the, and perhaps the third big difference was that he eventually saw action and and actually, I mean, that he, he had the most horrendously difficult stuff to do that without a weapon and all that. So anyway, I hugely admired the character and I thought it was a very interesting movie. But um, in my instance, I did not. Uh, I, I was trying to avoid seeing any sort of action. Of course, uh, and luckily didn't. Um, I didn't have. I didn't serve willingly. Um, I was. I was against being there in the first place, and and then of course I. I didn't have a, a good religious backing in any way because being Jewish, that there was no. 
there was no sort of mandate to be a conscientious mm. objector one way or the other. So it just looked like you were a spoiled Jewish kid that no, didn't want no, to no, fight. No, <laughs> no, it didn't, didn't look like that at all. It, it, I, I was, they, they realized I wasn't, I was actually extremely fit because mm. I spent, uh, I, I spent three weeks getting as fit as I could. And I ran my ass off there and carried people who fell down and, and all of that. Amazing. Uh, so it was very much not that. I was very... They, they so they could it. see that you they were could, you were ready. You just didn't want to. The the weird thing was they kept what they kept throwing at me was uh, was that they said, "Look what your fellow." They said in Afrikaans, "Look what your medamensa in Israel doing. Look what your fellow Jews in Israel are doing." At that stage, of course, 1982, what Israel was doing was invading Lebanon. So I said to them, "That is an illegal invasion of another country, and I support Palestinians." rights and mm -hmm. i support i'm i'm completely against the israeli army and the, the the whole israeli defense force and what israel is doing and to a huge extent the way even the way israel was formed there, there's a there's a myth amongst jews in the diaspora and in in israel and all over the world there's a myth that kind of the majority of jews supported uh uh, the you know zionism and mm. all of that is that's not true the, the the zionist lobby was very powerful and eventually they managed to kind of um sort of persuade people a little bit after the fact but there were so many different versions of being jewish there were there were the jewish bundists the labor supporters who basically said who were there were many jewish communists and socialists and 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 labor supporting jews who wanted to try and get human rights in the countries that they lived in of course some of that was a was was almost impossible or impossible under fascism and then and nazism and but uh, but you the, not everyone wanted to go and displace palestinians and kick them off their land and uh, and, and create a a country that's actually formed mm. um in in an, in a in a very very faulty way the last great colonial project at 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 the time when all the other colonial projects were coming apart it's interesting that israel and south africa um and the current Israel and the and the and the apartheid sort of consolidation in 1948 and Israel in 1947, you you basically had these two things happening uh, at the moment. There are many people who who refuse to see the the, the parallels, the, the the apartheid state thing. I mean, I'm very much uh, uh, in in line with people who say that Israel is an apartheid an apartheid state. Anyway, so I, of course, mm -hmm. when I was speaking with these. Guys, they couldn't figure me out. They didn't understand that kind of politics at all. Uh, and the, there were, in fact, some religious non-combatants among them. Out of the 700 in the place where I was sent to Pretoria, the Fuertrecker there were a couple of different uh, platoons there, uh, different divisions. There was a financial one and a whatever, the personnel one. Mm -hmm. And so there's 700 in my intake. And there were... Four of us who were non-combatants or, or trying to be, but the other three were religious Christians who had the backing of their church and they had all these kind of official letters. So the one was a Christadelphian, one was a Plymouth Brethren, and one was a Jehovah's Witness. They kind of left them alone. They just let them be. But I was the one out of 700 who was singled out for really harsh treatment and 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 trying to turn people against me to get them to beat me up and that it, kind of thing. In what kind of ways would they do that? And uh, were you ever assaulted actually? I luckily I made friends easily. Mm. So my and and I also kind of pulled my weight within the 
strange context of being there. I mean, I pulled my weight. I helped the people who were falling down, as I mentioned, and, mm. and I sort of did my bit uh, to to just just be, to survive there in in that situation. But I felt really conflicted because uh, I didn't believe in being there. There were other people like me who didn't really who didn't want to be there and who understood. And then there were others who really didn't like what I was doing. But they, but but I, I, and some of them did want to beat beat me up. What they would do is they would single me out in, in on the parade ground and they'd say, oh, "This is the guy that's making you this is run extra laps." The, or yeah, 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 like the movie Axel Ridge, basically. Of He's the reason that yes. we're not doing so well. And, and then, um, in fact, that guy saved everyone. Sure, and 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 then armies do that. I mean, mm. it's, it's a horrible kind of army thing yeah. all it's over like the world. Yeah, 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 and and they 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 all do that. Mm. And, I mean, I think militaries are awful. Um, uh, you know, even when I sometimes support the causes that uh, the, the, a military might be uh, fighting for, I just think armies are, are terrible. Things. In general, yeah, just yeah. conflict in general is yeah, yeah. is uh, yeah an awful thing. So they really kind of like they they pushed me and they tried to trick me into carrying a. A, a rifle from one corporal to the next. And eventually, they gave me a. They, they saw after six or seven weeks of this kind of stuff, they saw that I wasn't breaking, and they gave me one one uh, Monday morning after the weekend. The, the lieutenant pitched up with a a lead pole attached to a, a roughly uh, shaped rifle butt sort of thing um, attached with kind of wire and nails. And this is a really comical thing. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll carry that. I don't care. It's a slightly heavier than a rifle and a really clumsy thing. But in a way, I became a sort of an like a joke, which mm. was fine by me because I was starting to kind of almost play into things. Yeah, and I was I, I played into that persona. It became my new mm. sort of kind of sort of activist persona. And you might have mentioned this earlier, but were you publishing? You were publishing cartoons while you were in the army, right? Well, not 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 yet at that particular mm. point. I was still doing basic training then, and then um, and then they sent me for a, on a. I mean, then they put me on a clerk's course. So this is the first four months. I was I wasn't doing it. Then I, I I got transferred to army headquarters, and I hated that because you know I was I really didn't want to be part of that mechanism. I managed to get myself transferred down to Cape Town. Uh, to the Navy, and there, uh, like I couldn't do duties, you know. Carry uh, there was a there was a corporal in, in in Pretoria who made me stand guard with my lead pole, which was hysterically funny because I said to him, "Look, you know, you are going to get into trouble for this." Yeah. Well, I said to him, "You you you must take responsibility for this." And he got into massive trouble, and then they wanted me to get rid of this thing, so I carried it out in a in a black bag. So it was an obvious weird shape, and they're like, oh, all the, all the kind of raising their eyes as I walked out. They all knew what was in this yeah. black bag, and they just wanted to see the the end of it. Mm. And then when I got down to Cape Town, and I was in in the in the Navy, suddenly I I had more free time than the other guys because I wasn't doing duties. And the UDF, the United Democratic Front, formed while I was there. And so in, I'd been in the Army and Navy, or whatever, for one year when UDF formed and I went to the launch at uh, Rocklands in Mitchell's Plain and I was completely energized. I thought, wow, this is, I mean, now that this is a place, a, a political home for someone like me, uh, somebody who really wants to do something and who sees things happening kind of on the ground and young people and, and women and trade unions and street committees and like really 
like this seems like the right way to go. And I got involved immediately and I started doing cartoons. The very first piece of artwork I did for the UDF in 1983 was banned by the by the government because it was, you know, very subversive of what they were trying to do. And I had many things banned um, after that. And, and I suddenly found that both people who I was speaking to and for um, were, were taking note and so were the security police and the police and government and whatever. What an incredible journey that is, eh? And um, when apartheid ended, how did your career change? Because you had a lot more freedom then. Yeah, well, you see, the, 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 I had about six years of, of that kind of activism because I, while I was, as you, you, you asked that question about being in the army, yes, for, for about a, a year, I was, I was a, an activist and in the army. Did I they, even, did they know though? That, well, initially not so much, but, um, but then I made no secret of it. And I, I started, um, bringing in the, the stickers and, and um, things that I was designing and sticking them up where I worked in 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 the space. So I, w- I had a free Mandela, a big free Mandela sticker, over my head and like behind my head in the workspace that I that I had, and the UDF declaration. And I took the declaration around to people within the unit, some of whom were kind of were artists and um, and and writers and filmmakers and things like that. Some of them were sucked into the kind of propaganda machine. I was trying to avoid that. Not that it makes any, an enormous difference. I was still in the bloody army. But I was trying not to do that stuff. But I was teaching myself about cartooning using the the, the materials. I actually stole as much as I could from the from the army and used the materials to do stuff with posters and things for the struggle. Stick it to the man. Mm. <laughs> I stuck the stickers all over my car. I, I drove into army. Well, you're not scared yes. though. And, you know, because could you see that things were coming to an end, and you could no, be, not at all, not at all. No, the 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 thing was, there were other, there were amongst some of the other people in the army, there were people who had been hardcore activists already, mm. who'd suffered under the, you know, they'd been in detention or they'd been um, hounded or they'd whatever, and they were just like keeping a low profile and and like doing their service and sort of wanting to get the hell out. Well, we all wanted to get the hell out. But um, for me, it was like a first time and I had this burning thing to kind of just make it public. It was, it was really odd. I was unusual in that respect. And then um, um, the end conscription campaign formed while I was in the army and I, I had heard of the conscientious objector support group, which I supported, but I wasn't a, consci- a full conscientious objector. I went along to this uh, this um, uh, meeting of the of conscientious objective support group. Just it's a hard word to say. <laughs> mouth, mouthful. And during the meeting, um, I, I heard they were forming this organization called End Conscription Campaign, ECC. So I kind of I kind of wrote down E and I wrote down C and I wrote down C and I thought, hang on a second, I can make I can make a I can make a chain out of that. I can make that the broken parts of a chain. Mm. You see, and and I and I've sort of like did, a links. Yeah, you the play links. the the links, and and there there's a there's a piece of chain like that. Uh, you probably uh, hear the scratches, and it's probably on that uh, little mm. camera that you have there. So, and I I at the end of the meeting, I presented them with this uh, little rough drawing, and they said, "Draw it up," and that became the ECC logo. logo. And of course, so the other thing I was just tell you about this uh, is that. When you said did, did did they know, 
I was sent on a, a very important mission, which I hated, in the army. Because they wanted me to do drawings, they could see I could draw and they wanted me to draw for something. And I said, look, look you already know. I said to the commander of this unit, I said, you know what I, what I feel. Why are you sending me? Can't you send somebody else? You know that I'm like, mm. I'm, I, I, they, by that stage I knew I was involved in anti-apartheid activities and all that. Anyway, they, they kind of forced me to go and I reluctantly did these drawings. Two weeks after I got back, I was arrested for the first time uh, while I was in the army because mm. I was arrested twice while I was in the army. And, um, and suddenly you know, like the shit hit the fan and the military intelligence were there and then I go, why did you send him on this mission? And, and I said, you know, I told them. And um, I just didn't, and then suddenly the military intelligence people were at the trial mm. uh, in, in uniform. And there I was in my UDF T-shirt with all my fellow activists, you know, singing the songs and jumping up and down and whatever. And it was the most strange existence. And, and it only could have lasted a short while because while I was in the army, at, at the very end of the time I was there, the ANC put out a directive saying, we know that there are comrades, because I wasn't the only one, there are comrades, people involved in organizations who, who've gone to the army as well, and it, we've understood that. But now we're saying, you, you have to decide. And you know, luckily for me, I'd finished by that time. I was just finishing. And I would have, you know, had I kind of become an, an activist and, and then had to face that decision, then I would have been become a full conscientious objector. And then people after that, of course, once you had the end conscription campaign and a, and a rising tide mm -hmm. of, of, of people resisting the army, uh, it, it, everything shifted. But for the while that I was there, there were a few of us. There was I wasn't the only one. Uh, there were quite a few of us in the army who were doing. Um, in fact, when I was arrested, the strange thing was there was another person arrested in another part of town who was also an activist in the army, and the two of us happened to be the first names on the list. It was Jonathan Shapiro and fourteen others, and and his name was Mike Abrams. Mike Abrams and twenty. Four others or something. Mm. The weirdest thing out of out of that Stranger. group of people, the two people who were in the army were <laughs> the heads of the list. So it really caused shit in the mm. army. And uh, yeah, so it was it was very strange. So once I came out of the army, I just thought well, I can't go back and study anymore. I don't have the money for it. You just I go straight just into cartooning. Yeah, hell for leather, activist, cartoonist, doing things for every organization mm. that gave me any chance to. To it, draw stuff. It must have been quite risky for the publications to take you on as well, or was it not? I mean, um, the, the 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 publications that were that I was drawing for were anti-apartheid. So it didn't, they they didn't set care, up yeah. as anti-apartheid mm -hmm. things. So we would have discussed very carefully what we could get away with, what we knew we, we were going to do anyway, and not get away with. We didn't have the constraints that you had in, say, the 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 establishment press. The, the even the liberal press, you know, the kind of mainstream, where if somebody was a banned person, you couldn't, you would not draw them, you wouldn't uh, put their name, you wouldn't put Mandela's name or Tambo or whatever. When I was drawing for the UDF or for the conscription campaign or for Samstan or for uh, the, these these little little newspapers, and eventually I was drawing for South. South was a sort of in between. It was trying to. It was a populist 
anti and populist not in the worst sense of the word uh it was just maybe popular kind uh, and and it was it was it was an anti-apartheid uh, newspaper mm. and it was part of the alternative press so we would not be bound by the stuff that 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 the mainstream press was bound by so we could get away with we we sometimes could get away with more but there were editions of south that were banned and there were edition there were cartoons that i had in south that also were were, were mm. banned uh, as well and you did several cartoons during that time about mandela um, and I heard that you had quite a cute interaction with him, or a funny interaction with him. Can you tell me about yeah. that? Yeah, I did. I did a few cartoons that referenced Mandela, and uh, and and it, you know, for South and for and and of, of course, I was doing things for U, the UDF, and um, and then I actually the well the the the, the first kind of connection I I had or almost had was when I was detained without trial in, in 1988 because they put me in in solitary for not answering questions and then I was then in a cell next to um, Willie Hoffman who then later became the head of the, the National Assets Forfeiture Unit. I knew Willie from struggle days. And so there were, and there were a few of us who were in the, in the prison, a few, of course, separated by race. So mm-hmm. I was only with white there were white males. Were you in Polsmore or Robben Island? I was in Polsmore. So the connection there is that Nelson Mandela was in, in Polsmore in the, the basement. Time. He was, hey. Um, well, he was. It's not. I don't know exactly mm. basement. He was in a separate section. Yeah, a very protected section. Um, and then, of course, later he went to Victor Fester. Uh, but he was there at the time because I was. I was detained in '88, and at the time it was. He was incredibly key to everything because he was. Turning seventy, and the the reason that I was detained, which I found out only during interrogation, I sort of figured it out, was that it was that they suspected they thought I was on the Nelson Mandela birthday committee organizing for his seventieth birthday. It was a huge thing around the world, and the big Wembley Stadium concert mm-hmm. in 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 you know that was that was massive, and it really Nelson Mandela was already on the map, but that put him on the global map even more than he had before. So they were really worried about this whole thing. And they asked he, me. He, he got like 70,000 birthday cards or something. Oh, it, it, it was, was something you know, like ridiculous like that. Absolutely amazing. And the concert was huge. And then, mm. and they, so here they were organizing as well. So, okay, so the, this is the Mandela connection that led to the uh, kind of drawing. Uh, there's another little funny bit which I'll just tell you as I'm going through this. Is so I, they asked me about this, and I, I and they asked me about some of these other activists. And I, I, I really realized that there were some very senior people that I was detained with, and I was I was kind of very junior and very, you know, I was not key. I was a, you know I was a cartoonist, activist, whatever in in this little branch, but. I realized that there was another guy. There was a there was a guy called Jonathan Shapiro, as well. Another guy, in in my little well, there there was Claremont and there was Observatory United Democratic Front. He was in Observatory, I was in Claremont, but we often worked together. And I thought, well, he's very likely he's on that committee, and so I didn't say anything. But I realized that, and they they called him Jojo. Um, he's he's a he's a quite a crazy kind mm. of character, Jojo. Unfortunately, he's passed away since but he was 
around about the same age as me and it's weird that there were the two of us with the same name. So I, anyway, I didn't say anything. A couple of years later, after I managed to get out and then go to study in the, in the, the U.S., on a Fulbright scholarship, I came back and I saw him at a party and they said, and I said to him, uh, hey, Jojo, you know that they, they they detained me because they thought I was you. So he says, no shit, while you were away, they detained me because they, <laughs> they thought I was you. I was you by that. So I said, okay, we That's quit. bizarre. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. So <laughs> it was funny. And um, uh, so when, when I was in, I was in for 11 days. I was in five days in solitary mm. and then 11 days altogether. And then I was, I was, I thought, well, it is his birthday. Let me see. There was one warder who he thought we was a little bit tamer than the others. So I did a birthday card. I, I did this whole thing, which I've, I've, I still had the roughs for it. I, I lost the, 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 the final one because we tried to send it to Madiba. Um, it was a, it was this this image of Madiba in jail in this, almost in the shape of the jail, almost in the shape of South Africa. And then there were these layers upon layers upon layers. At the very top was this, this sort of wobbling structure with the PW Buerta and, and his generals and his government and that kind of like wondering why things were shaking. Uh, it was a tall, thin thing. Um, and and then we 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 all signed it. So Willie Hoffman in the, in, in the cell next to me, and then um, uh, Ivan Toms, who was a, a, a well known conscientious, full conscientious objector, who was a doctor. Uh, he was in in jail at the time. Another guy called uh, Chris Gifford, who was who who's um, who was in ANC cell and had been uh, he was awaiting trial. Uh, when I say a cell, I mean political cell, not, mm. not not a physical cell. But he was also in a cell. Anyway, he was um, uh, he, he was, I was, and, there, and my, then Mike Abrams. There were all of us kind of white males who who we could find in that in that section because that's all we could find. And we all signed this thing and we sent this via the uh, the, 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 the the. We just had a power cut. This is South Africa. We move on. <laughs> so where were we? I think we were talking about um, the birthday cards for Mandela. Yeah, the, uh, the birthday card. Uh, yeah, uh, I think cartoonists tend to throw a spanner in the works. Um, that's what we do. So uh, not that I'm responsible for the power cut, but uh, uh, you can blame Eskom and. But I was just thinking, Zuma must have heard you were here, so <laughs> or <Yeah>. Cyril, <laughs> yeah, or Cyril, or any of them. Yeah. yeah. No, so the 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 just to kind of tie up that card situation, I was tr we were trying to get that uh, this this birthday card, uh, this special birthday card signed by all these uh, activists to to Madiba via the 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 the, the so-called tame tame water. I think he wasn't tame enough. I think he got intercepted by the security police, or or he he took it to them to kind of curry favor, and whatever it was, it it disappeared. Uh, many, many years later, I tried to actually track it down through, you know, because the, they had files of all kinds mm -hmm. of stuff. And I never did track it down, but it, it did, certainly didn't reach Madiba. Um, and then, um, of course, shortly after that, I managed to get out of the country and get to, um, you know, when I was released. Um, this is 88. I went to study in New York on scholarship and uh, had the most amazing experiences it was great to have a kind of a a time not tied to all the as much as i'd loved 
being involved, but a time where I was kind of looking from a different perspective and learning a lot of things about cartooning and about comics and seeing that there was another, there were other, there were other perspectives. I actually learned a lot about doing more accessible kinds of drawings. Um, and then all of a sudden out of the blue heard that the organizations were being unbanned and Mandela was being released and, um, you know, not expecting that, but I, I don't know who the very, very, very few people in the world were. And then I was very upset that I wasn't at home, um, you know, for a while watching on, on TV as, you know, with all my friends and family at the parade in, in, in Cape Town where uh, Mediva spoke and, you know, immediately after his release. But luckily he then came to New York in the middle of 1990. And I had joined the ANC in 88 when I arrived. And uh, so I was part of the New York uh, ANC and, and then I got involved in the welcoming committee. So then I had a little card. We, we this South African activists mm. in New York who were part of the ANC and a few others not part of the ANC. We had a, this little card that we were carrying around for a meeting, you know, comrades, South African comrades to meet comrade Nelson Mandela which I still got that little card. Uh, but of course, when he arrived, as much as I'd, I was, I designed the official poster that was up all over New York, uh, which was fantastic, you know, and I, and I was, I, I came pretty close to him. I saw him like, you know, a few meters away, mm. but we never got to meet him because he was too busy. He was at the UN, he was meeting the mayor, he was speaking everywhere. And of course, everybody wanted his attention. So, and it was still a privilege to be close up and to see that. Then I came back to South Africa um, at the end of 1990, at the end of 1990, um, to really I, I wanted to, you know, be part of what was happening here. And uh, I still did, didn't get to meet him. I was in a little bit of a political vacuum for a while, actually, because I was pretty pissed off that the UN, the, the UDF structures had been um dissolved by the ANC even though I supported um, you know the new government in, in waiting and I'm very much in, I'm very excited by the, the ANC coming to power and and Madiba being president and all of that and in early 1994 I was in um I suddenly got an invitation to become the cartoonist for the Mail and Guardian which was pretty exciting it was just before the elections and so that was actually a great, it was great timing. And uh, then I was asked immediately after that to become the cartoonist for the Sowetan. So I had this really great sort of very different set of, of, of readers. Of, of, um, and then a, a bit later, the Sunday Times, so I had this huge spread. And in 94, so just a, a short while after Madiba was, uh, became president, I got a chance to go and meet him um, as part of a photographic shoot. Was, uh, my wife was taking photographs of, um, she, she had a shoot set up with mm. him. I wasn't allowed to say who I was because that would distract him from the shoot. Uh, but I was allowed to be there as a kind of a helper. So at the end of the shoot, yeah, when we all said we'd been speaking to him and we'd been setting him up and it was really interesting. He, as informally as possible, you know, with his feet up on a on a 
on a stool in between engagements and with his perrier water and reading the newspaper and that kind of thing. The end of the shoot, I was able to then say to him, um, well, my, my wife said, actually, my husband is the cartoonist Zapiro. And he said, oh, Zapiro, <laughs> oh, how, how wonderful to meet you. And he knew my cartoons and he'd seen them because they used to get newspapers. Uh, that was one of their sort of tiny set of privileges. So he used to read things. He saw my stuff even in the struggle days. Um, uh, you know, he but, he but he certainly never in that later part in that 88 and whatever, he didn't see the, the, the card. He never got given the card, but he saw my cartoons from quite a while back and he knew all about them. And he, and the lovely chat with him then was just surreal. And then later got to meet him a few more times. He actually invited me to his, uh, to a couple of his birthday parties. Jeez, that's amazing. Yeah, you know, I flew up from Cape Town and met him then and uh, um, again. And I met him a few times. And um, I got to present the, uh, the, the puppet for Zun News, you know, the sort of spitting image type. Have you ever seen mm -hmm. Zun News? It's still out there. Um, it was not my initiation. It was a, somebody called Thierry Casuto, who's um, who's French. So he had seen the Guignols. The very much he'd been immersed in that culture of the French follow-on from Spitting Image, the kind of latex puppet satire mm -hmm. thing. The French did a daily thing, so it's like five minutes a day or six minutes a day. And that was the format that we used. Uh, Thierry suggested it and we, we did a little pilot. And we, the first puppet that we made, of course, was Madiba. We did a three-minute pilot with that. And um, th on the day that Madiba stepped down as, as where he, well, he did his last speech as president to parliament, uh, I'd been invited to parliament. I mean, I, I often say I'm, it doesn't happen a lot these days. But at that time I was invited to parliament and I heard the speech and then went off to the garden party, which was in Newlands at the parliamentary kind of get-together place, which is Fernwood. And I had this, I had my same little funny car and put the uh, uh, put the, 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 the puppet in the boot of the car and drove in <laughs> through the, and then, Put the puppet through the metal detectors, and <laughs> I had this puppet, which is a full size, and but and then it had a torso. So I had that. You have to work it so that the hand kind of works the face, mm. and then one of the hands is in 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 one of the arms. Uh, normally, they have two puppeteers to work these things, but you can sort of get away with it when you just sort of around moving around. People. Yeah, and I was walking around with these parliamentarians, and I was saying, "Oh, hello, how are you?" Ah, and and they were treating this puppet like the real person. It was amazing. So I said, "Oh, long time since I've seen you. Uh, you had uh, how many children again?" And then, <laughs> and you know, I was sort of imitating them, and I loved doing. That's why I feel like Nelson's in the room right now. <laughs> so and then I got to actually like bring the puppet close up mm. to him. Uh, Freni Genwala, the the Speaker of Parliament, uh, she gave me permission to to introduce him to the puppet at the end of the whole. Um, of the proceedings. So as he was getting up to go, I, I kind of pushed past. He had a he had a bodyguard. You know, Madiba was uh, fairly tall, six two, six two and a mm. half, six three. I'm not sure exactly. Uh, and he said this massive bodyguard towered over him. A guy called Tall um, for obvious, obvious reasons. reasons. 
And uh, and he didn't know I was coming, so I kind of pushed by. There's a picture of him kind of looking down <laughs> like this, and I push past and 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 I stick the puppet's hand out to Medib, who doesn't know it's coming, and he says, "Oh, I believe I have met this gentleman before." <laughs> <laughs> Amazing! Yeah. What a what a story. I do want to move on just because I we have got a few things to get through here. Sure, tell and me. I know you don't have all day. Yeah, but no, I mean, no, I can spend all day talking about <laughs> stories. South Africa has had some of the most memorable moments when it comes to politics and politicians and even like news anchors and stuff. There's been a few things that have really gone so viral and seen around the world. Um, and there's been a few in Parliament, right? To you, what do you think the most iconic, funny moment from Parliament is, or South African politics? I know it's a broad question, but I mean, there's there's a the, like Zuma trying to say numbers was that, I, I was about to say was that, incredibly that, funny. That is, I mean, uh, some of those things have got to be some of the funniest ones. The fake ever. sign language guy Mandela. Well, that wasn't Parliament, of course, but that was it was political absolutely, though. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those are two that are I mean, right up there. And I, I, I was able to do one of my best cartoons about about that guy. Uh, about the sign language guy. Yeah. Can you tell everyone what it was about? Just because I'm sure a lot of people don't know. Yeah. So okay. So at 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 Nelson Mandela's funeral, uh, there was this the sign language. I mean, sure, some people will remember, but there was this guy who looked a really strange guy um, who, who seemed to be doing the sign language. I mean, he was kind of like doing stuff. It, it looked a little bit odd, mm. uh, but I mean, those of us who don't sign. Wouldn't have known. Wouldn't have known any I, difference. Yeah. Well, we, we he he certainly didn't seem like Rika. <laughs> I can tell you that already. But um, but but for people who knew signing sign language, and that's a lot of people in South Africa. Yeah. I mean, they said like, what? They immediately they're like, what the hell? This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He's he's it's just like making it up as he goes along, and he keeps on doing the same things, and they just like mean nothing. And he was like, he was a strange guy, and he was doing this stuff, and you know there was. Uh, there was uh, um, uh, Obama, and there was Zuma. Zuma was doing his his speech. Zuma got booed, and then and and Obama's. I, I think Obama was first. Obama got a fantastic ovation because he spoke brilliantly. He's a brilliant speaker. Yeah. He's an incredible orator, and he spoke. Well. And then Zuma actually got booed, um, and uh, and I did a cartoon. Uh, about the like when people already had found out that the sign guy was a mm. was a fake, and uh, I had Obama in his office, and there's the um, there's this sort of image of the sign guy and Zuma, who had received a very bad re reception, and Obama on screen, and then Obama is saying to his kind of uh, to his advisors who've kind of just told him. Like you can see, they've just told him about this. I mean, he says, "You mean right there on the world stage? Um, I, the, the, I was, I was uh, um, sitting next to a, I, I was, I was next to a, a, a complete a, a sort of fraudulent imposter." Mm. So, and the, the 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 advisor says, "Yes," and the sign language guy was was no better. <laughs> <laughs> it, I, I'm, I'm probably not doing exactly yeah. the cartoon justice. It was a while ago, it, yeah. And immediately, like, flipped back to Zuma, and mm -hmm. it was pretty, perfectly obvious. So uh, uh, that was a really what an unbelievable doing. moment. I mean, how did that guy get the job? 
Uh, um, I don't know. I mean, I mean, How many cracks do you have to slip through to get to a point where you're signing for Obama no, it's, uh, without it, knowing sign language? You know, some of those kind of old, uh, those, 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 those things where sort of real imposters kind of manage to, to get in the world, on, on the world stage. I mean, the, those kind of stories are pre-metal uh, detectors and pre-computers and pre-all um, the kind of security checks and yeah. all of that kind of stuff. There are many, many stories of that kind of thing. Um, they're, they're, they're legendary stories. But, you know, in this day and age, I mean, the, the, everything must have kind of slipped up so badly. and They probably uh, forgot last minute and they were just like, find someone. <laughs> Yeah, this guy was like, I know sign language. Outrageous, yeah, no, but you you hit on two of the the the, the things I would have said as as like hysterically funny or mm. really strange. Um, Just so funny, yeah. eh? And um, I want to talk a little bit about your cartoons, right? Um, which of your cartoons would you say has had the most impact around the world and in South Africa? I'm afraid there's one uh, that's head and shoulders above the others. And then, uh, and I say I'm afraid because it's a very, very tough one. It's one that I'll absolutely defend. And I, and I know it's one of the most, it's probably the most important cartoon I've ever done. I mean, I'd like to say some of the Mandela things because some of those were, were, were really important and, and, and worked really well and had a big impact and all, all of that. But the cartoon I did in 2008, which is commonly referred to as The Rape of Lady Justice, Although it's not referring to, it, to an actual rape, rape taking place is something I would never ever do. But it's it is it, it's it's a rape, a gang rape about to happen. Zuma to the country his belt, and well, not to the country, to the justice system. And because I, mean, I was literally sitting at my desk and and saying to myself in in the, that period, two thousand four, five, six, seven, eight, as Zuma was trying to get the corruption charges dropped against him so he could become president. And those damn corruption charges, they're still there because he was indeed corrupt and the ANC was just dead set on, or his faction, which was actually bigger faction within the ANC, was dead set on overlooking the fact they knew he was corrupt and they wanted him to be president. They wanted to get the charges dropped in a political uh, settlement kind of wrapped up as a judicial... Uh, sort of agreement. So they got in the run up to the um to the the the, the trial, the, the the judgment in two thousand eight in the Peter Marisburg High Court by Judge Nicholson that would decide at that stage whether the charges would 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 carry would stand or be dropped. And Nicholson made a weird judgment where he pulled in far too many things that were extraneous to the case. And he said he agreed that there'd been some enough conspiracy to regard the, the case, the whole case is tainted against Zuma. And he, he said, well, you know, the, 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 the charges can't stand in that in those circumstances. And that judgment was later overturned because it was a faulty judgment. So in the run-up to that that case, that, that judgment, I did something where I felt, I, I said to myself, Zuma is raping the justice system. And then I... Like got a fright. I literally went like that, and I I said, "Lady Justice, I mean, Justice is a woman. That's the the metaphor." Mm. And so I did this little rough drawing, and that became this cartoon that was that then kind of actually reverberated right across the country, and it was the first thing that the that Zuma and well Zuma's allies 
commented on on the day of that supposed vindicating judgment. Uh, they they all went for me first before anything else. It was that's how much impact it had, and there were five thousand people um, at that at that rally out next near the Peter Marisburg High Court, and there were hundreds of thousands, maybe millions, watching on TV. And this case became very, very big the, 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 around the cartoon. Um, the, the, it looked as if Zuma's taking, unbuckling his belt and he's about to rape this figure lying yeah, on the I've ground, seen the struggling. And, and w- with his allies holding her down and one of them, Greta Montasha, saying, go for it, boss. Mm. So that's, that's the cartoon. It's, I was then taken to the Human Rights Commission uh, by the Young Communist League and the Human Rights Commission exonerated me. They said the stuff is, is within the public domain. Uh, it is based on, you know, things that he had said, et cetera, et cetera. And so I was given the, I was in the clear there, but then Zuma sued me, which is the second time he sued me. He'd sued me in 2006 for three other cartoons for 15 million rand, which was the equivalent of 2 million US dollars. Yeah, probably like... 30 million now. Well, yeah, but yeah, they, they call it just a sort of dollar terms, you you know, because at the time that mm-hmm. kind of gives you a sense of it. Two million, I mean, uh, two million US dollars. Then he sued me for the Lady Justice cartoon for seven million rand, which at that stage was one million US dollars. So these were world record amounts to sue a cartoonist for. Huge, yeah. That case of the Lady Justice cartoon, that went on for four years and he really tried to nail me for it. He really... His lawyers were telling him it wasn't a good idea because, in fact, by the time that he eventually had to drop the charges, it was just before a big ANC national conference, the one in Mangong in 2012. So they'd gone from 2008 to 2012 and they were desperate, the lawyers were desperate that this case didn't get aired because people would have been able to see, I had a fantastic team of lawyers, they would have been able to see that what I was saying about him threatening mm-hmm. with, and all of those people threatening the judiciary uh, to say, drop the charges or there'll be anarchy, chaos, there'll be this, there'll be that. That's what they were doing. And so that cartoon, it's also now on a list of 15 cartoons that changed the world, um, which, and, and I know that always sounds overblown. I mean, each cartoon it, it had changed the world. It had such a big impact though. But e- e- each cartoon mm. over the, over about 200 years is meant to be a cartoon that that changed that that had a huge impact within mm. the, the the society in which when they say drawn. change the world i don't think they necessarily mean yeah. the whole fabric of reality no. shattered That's they right. mean it had a massive yes. impact and so many people saw it yeah. and became aware yeah. of what was going on probably because of the cartoon that's that's right and 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 the, the cartoons you know like that are cartoons that 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 join debates that 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 start debates that kind of add something to the to meaning that that are that have a big impact and um and that there were cartoons there from you know from all over the world and from from over 200 odd years my cartoon is Number fifteen of fifteen, so it's just in there. But just got there, yeah. And it was done by a very credible source. So um, I mean, I'm. Uh, it clearly is the one cartoon that mm. that had the biggest impact. After that, there's quite a number of others yeah. that, I, that I could list. But um, did you but did you meet Zuma during that time? Um, I I confronted him once at a press conference where it was in two two years before that cartoon uh, when when he first sued me, two thousand six. 
I went along to a press conference in Cape Town. I got myself a press card. I didn't have one at the time. I had previously had a press card, but I got one specially so that I could be at the press conference mm. and kind of stick my hand up and say, hi, I'm Zapira. I'm the, you know, you're suing me. And you, I wasn't the only one who was, he was suing. He was suing a whole lot of people and in, in media. And I, and I said to him, you're suing me. You're suing other people doing satire like me, not not cartoons at the time, but other kinds of satire. There was a song and there was a, and, and a column. And, and you're suing other reporters. You're suing people like me who and me who are journalists doing their job and, and working with things that you've actually said and, and done. And you say and at that press conference he'd given a speech talking about freedom of expression and supporting the media. So I said, explain that. Explain that. Yeah. And, and the weird thing was his answer was so kind of lizard-like. It, 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 it was slippery. so weird and slippery. And go, nobody really remembers that answer. Um, he kind of slipped through the cracks. And they didn't give me a follow-up question. And then again, when when he sued me two, two years later for the Lady Justice cartoon, I didn't have a chance to meet him personally there or, or confront him personally, but I heard he'd be on the radio. So I phoned up the radio station and I, and they jumped me, they jumped me up the order, which I'd never asked for before. I said, please give mm. me the opportunity to speak to him. And I said to him, uh, he was still Mr. Zuma. He wasn't president yet. I said, Mr. Zuma, you know, you're still, you are the most powerful politician in the country because he was already by that stage. And you've sued me again. And I asked you a question two years ago at a press conference and I want you to, you know, explain again why you think it's okay to say you support press freedom, but actually you're suing people who are doing their job mm -hmm. as journalists. Keep, you know, that's what we're supposed to do. And he said, I saw your cartoons, in plural, he said, I saw your cartoons, you are invading my dignity. And I just like wrote that down and I... Uh, of course, I didn't get much chance. You're to like, thanks for there. another idea for yeah, a concert. I mean, that, that is such a weird concept, yeah. invading my dignity. Anyway, I put that on the back of a of You got my, no my dignity. <laughs> but, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, he basically was doing a great job of, you know, destroying his own reputation. But, of course, at the time it made no difference to the ANC and to the people who supported him. They, you know, if, if people support someone like Zuma or Trump or mm. Bolsonaro or Duterte or these or, – or, uh, Emerson Mangagwa or, you know, or uh, um, anywhere around the world, if, if somebody, Erdogan or something like, people around the world, these absolute populist, terrifying demagogues, uh, Trump, whatever, they, if people support them and, 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 and elect them, even if the, sometimes the, 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 the electoral process is faulty or whatever, uh, we're in a proper democracy. Um, it is, it's, you know, you, you, you can try your best to be part of the movement that brings them down, but it's, um, the, you know, for a while they're in the ascendancy. So hard to bring these guys mm -hmm. down, eh? Um, and do you ever get, do you ever get scared to talk about South African politics or politicians? Um, or do you think South Africa is still a safe place to be a journalist? Do you South feel like you can cover anything with impunity? You can't be touched. South Africa is not a safe place to be a journalist. I have had a 
pretty much a charmed life. I've had I've had run-ins. I've been sued, you know, in these big cases, and, mm. and Zuma's not the only one who's, who's sued me. Uh, Baleka and Bete tried to sue me. Um, You've had death threats, and 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 then and uh, uh, Iqbal Survey sued me and, or tried, and so is the Mkhlebani, the who I draw as a kind of creature, the the public protector. I draw as a strange kind of creature from the swamp. Um, they, she also tried to try to sue me. When I say tried to. They've I've had the letters of demand not taken further by anyone except Zuma uh, and there have been a couple of others. But I've I've had death threats, I've had not directly from politicians, I've had like veiled sort of sidebar kind of threats uh, that, that are connected with politicians, including one of uh, a Winnie Mantegizela Mandela supporter who tried, of course, in the old days I had, um, you know, I was d- detained without trial by the old order um, and, and, and there, of course, it, it was also dangerous. But it's certainly dangerous to be a journalist and a whistleblower and or, you know, whistleblower Mm -hmm. in South Africa. And there are some people who are not protected by where they live or by being reasonably big names or being or uh, they're various things that kind of give you a little more protection than other people. or You don't always know whether it's true or not. But, I mean, if I'd been living in KwaZulu-Natal and doing the things that I did, uh, I actually went into a couple of Zuma strongholds during some of those times. And, I mean, I gave a workshop in, in a Zuma stronghold in 2006 and I could feel it. And then I went to the same area in, in KwaZulu-Natal in 2009 and there was a very, very, very scary, like atmosphere where where I I felt that I might not be that safe. Mm. Uh, and and if I were working there permanently, and people you know knew where I lived and all that, I, that could have been a problem. And there are people who who, who suffer far, far, far more. And the journalists who've you know journalists have been targeted and 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 killed. Yeah. There have been whistleblowers. Uh, Many of them who've been who've been killed. So we're living in a in a dicey situation. But that said, within the the press itself, um, we do have the press. The, the I mean, media media groups, media houses. We actually do have quite a lot of safety protocols of expression as well. Uh, so it's it's a it's a bit of a mix. And mm. I've certainly had more opportunity to publish really hard hitting stuff than. Some other, you know, some journalists in, in in mainstream democracies in other parts of the world. So so I can't I can't complain too much. But I know that there are other journalists mm. who are under much much harsher sort of they, who have who are at much greater risk than I am. Yeah. Do you think? I mean, we we know that the, the relationship between South Africa and Russia and Putin is growing. Mm. Um, do you think? that the growing relationship between South Africa and Russia and Putin um, will hurt the freedom of speech in South Africa? Because I know you've done a lot of cartoons about Mm. Putin. Mm. And I was thinking, you know, we do have quite a close relationship. It's not like you're in America Mm. um, that is against Russia. You know, we're pro-Russia here, apparently. Um, So are you scared of repercussions from Russia or Putin through the South African government? uh, I mean, you see, I'm, I'm, I'm not... I'm not scared of. No, I think the way you phrased that was better. I'm, I'm scared of of um, of increasing 
rationalizations uh, about sort of shutting down areas of free speech uh, based on sucking up to 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 Putin in, in particular, but also uh, to to China. It's not as if I think that the, the you know the United States has been a, a paragon of virtue or anything. Mm. Absolutely no way. And I mean, during apartheid, there were it was it was. Uh, Ronald Reagan and Maggie Thatcher uh, were—I um, mean—they had a terrible effect on on uh, freedom of expression here. I mean, uh, Maggie Thatcher called Nelson Mandela a terrorist. It said that ANC was a terrorist organization, and Reagan—you know—so they were during the apartheid era, and certainly even you know post-apartheid, America's agendas is always—you know—they serve their own agenda, and they've done some 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 uh, things that you can you know, drive a bus through um, and the invasion of Iraq and, and, and many Some other terrible things. terrible things, yeah. Sure, and and, uh, and drones in Pakistan, whatever it is. Uh, so there have there be, there been many things that they've done. But r- right now it appears that our government is really cozying up to some pretty awful uh, regimes and, and people, uh, you know, demagogues. Um, and and sometimes it's it's... For very, very, very strange reasons, and and it's it they talk about Russia as a trading partner. Russia is a small trading partner of South Africa. Russia's Russia's um, uh, economy is not not that powerful. It's, it's well, I'm sure it's taking know. a huge hit now. Yeah, of course. Uh, but the the point about it is the is the kickbacks that are that that connections with Russia are all about. It's kickbacks, whether it's nuclear. Or whether it's other forms of energy or whatever it is, it's the kickbacks that there are. That unfortunately, this government, as, as much as there was corruption in the old uh, South African regime, and there absolutely was, and it was an inhuman and and uh, you know an inhuman re- regime based on on an absolute lie. Uh, there, there are various forms of corruption that have really grown and become uh, as bad as, and sometimes even worse. And at the moment, um, the 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 rationale for these things is so faulty. For example, do you know? I mean, I'm sure I don't know if you know, but the uh, the the the, the, the anomalies—they're all things again that you can drive a bus through. Uh, South Africa used to feel a kind of a debt to the Soviet Union, for again for good reason. The Soviet Union, as as difficult and 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 faulty. And and an empire and a regime as it as it was, um, there were there was support for the struggle that came out of the Soviet Union. But funnily enough, not from Russia as much as from Ukraine. I don't know if you you know that. No, <laughs> it's actually the, the Ukraine now. Putin is by no means the old Soviet Union anyway. I mean, Russia and Ukraine are they're, they're separate countries, and and uh, the the Soviet Union has fallen apart. So. Um, the old kind of connections with the the left has the, the old left wing aspect of the Soviet Union long since dissolved. I mean, the the ideals of the Soviet Union and in its in its early days to as progressive and as pro worker and as uh, I mean those things were being tested and broken down very early on. I mean, the, 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 the Trotsky being run out of it. Trotsky as a the progressive 
left, you know, progressive socialist being sort of run out in the Leninist faction. Then later Stalin, Stalin was absolute brutal dictator as a monster. And by that stage, the ideals of the, of the old Soviet Union were already in absolute tatters for, for decades. So even by the time South Africa was being supported by the Soviet Union, uh, already the Soviet Union itself was, 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 was hi highly dubious and faulty but at least they were giving some support. But that support was from that Soviet Union, not from Russia or, or, or from uh, Ukraine. As it happened, the, the area in which, the area of the old Soviet Union where the, the, a lot of the support for the ANC came from was Ukraine. So the, even the idea that, you know, we have some allegiance to, to Russia and to Putin, who doesn't even represent that, that any of those old ideals faulty as they were in the last few decades i mean it, it's just so far removed from anything mm -hmm. that we it's 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 completely absurd now zuma was trained in the ukraine by the way um in fact zuma trained in what i mean you know the, when when um anc uh, uh, comrades were sent for military training in other in other countries and they were sent to the soviet union uh, the the place where Zuma was based for quite some time and was was militarily trained was the Ukraine, not Russia, and um, and in for actually for a long time this is quite funny uh, when 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 I've been doing my my I often do talks you know people want me want me to come and speak cartoonists can sometimes be talking heads as you as you can hear it's hard, <laughs> it's hard to get a word in edge right? but, <laughs> I'm loving I'm I'm loving listening but um, uh, for mm. for a long long time for. Many, many years I've talked about the fact that Zuma, uh, you know, even when Zuma was president and I'm doing the, showing these cartoons of him and the shower that I've put on his head and all that, it represents a whole lot of interesting things. But I talk about the fact that, you know, he, he, he was hypocritical. Not, it's not that, oh, God, I'm, I'm now like I'm segueing my segues and into, <laughs> into the next one. But anyway, there, he had many, many children. Yeah. And uh, he had four wives, but outside of his wives, he was having was having affairs. So I criticized him for his hypocrisy in giving speeches that were saying that we should be responsible, speeches on HIV and AIDS, because Mbeki had been an AIDS denialist. Zuma now was somehow almost to kind of contrast his position with Mbeki, like he was now suddenly doing the right thing on HIV and AIDS, except in his own personal behavior. So he was having affairs and left, right, and centre with women all over the place, and having children out of wedlock. And I was doing cartoons about that. So when I've talked in these, in, when I give these talks, and I and I talk about that at, at at one stage, I showed there was a cartoon I did called Baby Shower, where where you had um, twenty little zoomers that, that looked like him, you know, these little babies floating around. It's kind of a shower of babies and it's like a nice little pun that we do as cartoonists. I'll show you the cartoon as well. Um, and I had this, this, this cartoon. I said, well, when I did the drawing, there were 20 official offspring of Jacob Zuma through his various wives. But there were, since then, there's another two official offspring, but they're out of wedlock. And then on top of that, and I've said this many times on stage or whatever, there are at least 12 I tracked down during the time I was, I was like, wait a minute, there's like m roughly 12 unofficial, many of them in Ukraine, 
because he that's where he was and he used to kind of sow his wild oats and kind of, you know, have children and he's whatever. An, he was an operator. He's, he's always Jeez. been. <laughs> so uh, at, at, at that stage there were around about 32, if you include official and unofficial, and now it's about 34 or 35 or something. But um, but Ukraine is where some of those little Zoomers were growing up. That's unbelievable, mm-hmm. eh? Jeez, I had no idea about any of this. I mean, yeah. coming towards the end, because I know you need to get out of here soon. Yeah. But um, I wanted to ask, the day, the first um, depiction of Zuma, right? Yeah. The first depiction of him with a shower on his head. Yeah. Can you just tell me about the process? What did you see online that, or in the news that made you go, let me put a shower on his head? Well, um, in 2006, Zuma was charged with rape. Yeah. And the woman that he had what he said was consensual sex with, and, and of course she said was rape, and uh, I think I've always said many times, I've said he was very, very lucky to get off, which you can, you can infer whatever you like from that. Um, I mean, so basically I completely believe her, and uh, so do a lot of other people. Yeah. Um, she was no commonly known as Quezy. She's had a terrible life after. Is she still alive? She said, no, she died. Um, and she had a terrible life. She had to go into exile because of the pressure. Uh, and then she. Because everyone loves Zuma in South Africa. I mean, not everyone, that, but so many people. At that stage, he had a lot of support to you. Anyway, so he's, he's charged with rape. He, um, uh, he says that it was, it was consensual. She was like less, could have been his not just his daughter, but almost his granddaughter. She was yeah, much younger. Uh, much, much younger. Um, she, he said terrible things. He said that uh, she was wearing this wrap around, this, um, this uh, whatever, I forget the word, mm. um, and, and that's like a short skirt. And, and so therefore she was kind of giving him the come on. So he's, he's got all these patriarchal, awful attitudes. Uh, he he makes up this stuff about Zulu culture as he went along. He said it's Zulu culture, you can't leave a woman uh, in a state of arousal. Um, the, I promise you this is in the court record. He said this and and then, you know, they consulted uh, Zulu culture experts who said, I don't know where it says that, you know. He really made up mm-hmm. stuff as he went along and people were just willing to believe it. He also then said, "What? what did you, so what did you do after, he said, they, they, he then acknowledged that they had sex. No, yes, he acknowledged that, but he also acknowledged that this woman was HIV positive and that he knew that. Now then, they said, "So didn't you think you might be infected?" And he said, "No, I didn't think there was much danger of that." Um, did did you use protection? No, no, he didn't, he didn't use protection. He didn't think there was much chance. It's like what? At that stage, you know, it's like. We're talking here, the, the trial was in 2006. Mm. This had happened just, you know, before that. At the absolute height of the HIV and AIDS. The and, AIDS and pandemic, the, the yeah. Pandemic and, 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 of course, they didn't have the, the um, they didn't even have such advanced, uh, they, they, had, they didn't have all, all the antiretrovirals yeah, the and antiretrovirals, the medication. I mean, there was AZT and they were starting to have the triple uh, it's not as advanced as it is today yeah yeah, yeah. so whereas yeah, i was speaking to a doctor last week he said you can live a normal life now yeah if you are hiv but if you have zuma mm. had been the head of the of the national uh, aids what's it, the national aids foundation national aids he when he was deputy president he had been head of the of this organization as as deputy president and then 
he should obviously have known all about this stuff. Anyway, they, he must have kind of second-guessed himself because they, he then they said to him, well, what did you do after this supposed consensual, this consensual sex? He said, I, he had a, I had a shower. Why? Oh, oh, to lessen my chance of infection. So now here's the thing. He'd been head of this organization. I just thought, shower, like snap, bingo. And I wasn't the only one. People picked up on the shower thing. A lot of people did. But I then put it, I did a cartoon where I put all the things that he had, all the strange things he'd said about women, about the short skirt, about the baby oil that he had. I, I had a, a physical representation of him with all of these things on him, including the short skirt finder on the, and his gun that shot sperms in the shape of his head and He's naked from the waist down. He's a male chauvinist pig, so I dream of this little pig face and um, MCP and proud of it and all that yeah. on a T-shirt. And the shower on his head in the shower said for AIDS prevention because at that stage I had to kind of say it. The next cartoon I did uh, was he then sued me for three, for the, it was the big, the first big lawsuit. Yeah. And the next cartoon, he was very, he's quite big in the cartoon. And I was making another point about the suing. And I didn't think the, the, the shower would work. So I didn't put the shower on. And a whole lot of people said to me, Where's the shower? Where's the shower? And I thought, Wow, that shower, that, that's obviously the thing that, that is most powerful out of mm. anything I did. So I put the shower straight back on and it became this huge iconic. Thing. Yeah, and then I make the shower becomes a cage, and it becomes, it sometimes gets tied in. It has different forms, it, yeah. It has different forms, and it has it, and and then I when he became president, I um, there were people saying you can't put the shower. Even the the commission for of for language and cultural rights and all that. They wrote me a letter, a, a, a public letter, a, a, a what you know, an open letter, saying that. It, you know, I can't, I can't, it's, it's wrong to do this and it's infradig, you know, infradig, it's, it's impinging on his dignity. Yeah. He's the president. He became the president. <laughs> I'm like saying, I don't know, where, like, who where, cares? Who cares? First who cares? All, where the hell does that say that? Which part of the constitution are you reading that, that, that says anything explicit about anything like this? But it's also like respect your elders, right? People always say that. Yeah. And to a point, I agree. But at the same time, I'm going to respect someone that's worth being respected. No, exactly. If you're I'll, not worth being respected, I'm not going to call you Mr. President. Or, you know what I mean? A, a cartoonist. I didn't much, choose you. A cartoonist or a stand-up comedian or, or, or anyone who, who wants to do some sort of satire, anyone who wants to kind of comment mm. ironically on people in power is looking for the hypocrisy and the uh, – and the and, uh, hypocrisy in its various forms that would make you say, hang on, you need to be worthy of that office mm. if you want respect for being in that office. I respect the office. I do not respect the person yeah, exactly. unless the person actually is worthy of that office. Mm. So, you know, in where you have somebody who is, who, who is worthy of the office, even if somebody's worthy of the office and makes mistakes, we are we have license in a in a in a constitutional democracy to take the piss and to knock him off, even more so with a guy like Zuma. So anyway, so I I then uh, it was I did decide to play with that shower. I then um, I thought, well, 
now that he's president, let me give him a little shot of at, at trying to be a president. So I thought, well, okay, let me have these calibrations next to the drawing where I, I, I show like good decisions and bad decisions. And the shower starts to kind of lift off as he, he did a few yeah. things in his first hundred days, even though I was very skeptical of him. So the shower still sort of lifts off his head and starting out, maybe it'll float away. And then he does something, does something <laughs> bad, and then the shower kind of goes, <laughs> like, like, and then it comes close to his head, and the, comes back the, on. Shit decision, I yeah. shit, I whatever is a bad decision. Mm. Re, re, you know, reattach uh, shower to head, um, or something like that. Eventually, after yet another one of these children out of wedlock, I, I have the, uh, and, and I thought no. He then did the State of the Nation address, and um, <laughs> I had him doing the State of the Nation address with a, with a shower the size of this room uh, on his head and, and, you know, kind of designated the showers back for keeps, you know, and it, 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 it's still the best device I've ever thought of for a, for a politician. Oh, no, it's unbelievable. And um, in memory, not in memory, but to celebrate the incredible character that you did create, I thought I would get you a present. Oh, great. Right? And this is not like a very nice present. <laughs> it's something I made this morning before the podcast. Oh. Can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> the anticipation is building. Yes. Wow, that's great. <laughs> I have made you a cap with a plunger and a shower head at the top here. Thank you very much. I will Let's see how this goes. Uh, this, pretty well, that's thank you so much. And you know what? Can I say first of all that this will this will be displayed in my studio, <laughs> and that and that I value it very much. I'll tell you. I was one. so nervous to, to give it to you no, as no. well. That, this is great. So, am I still being filmed? Yeah, uh, we haven't lost power. That no, no, on. we're still on. Okay. Uh, okay, it won't see the tip though. Yeah, I, have I got a big head or something? Because it's. <laughs> It's not fitting. It's you can loosen it. You yeah, can loosen, I'll loosen it. I'll loosen it. It's kind of nice and wonky. Um, <laughs> I will say that this is not the first of these that I've seen. Seriously. I, I will send you 10, 15 pictures because what, what I also value about this is that unwittingly you've tapped into something that happened hugely in around 2016, 2017, when people were – demonstrating against Zuma, suddenly this shower became part of the kind of national protest. So I can show you pictures outside the union buildings of people wearing exactly this, mining. So you didn't even know. No. No, that's what they wear. That's what they put. They put them on on on, on helmets of various kinds, mostly mining helmets like the, you know, uh, workers or miners' helmets. And um, and then they put the showers on. And there's one great picture of a, of a car going past the – the Gupta's house in Saxonwold, and and then the car has like a a, a, a sun, what's it? A sun, like thing that you open at the top. I don't know much about cars. Mm, a sunroof. Sunroof. Anyway, and then and somebody like sticks this this the shower out of the sunroof <laughs> in front of all the kind of bodyguards outside the book the, the Gupta house. Yeah, which is probably one of my favorite ones. But this shower thing has got a life of its own, and um, thank you for tapping into that, so to speak. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very honored to wear it and to display it. Amazing. Well, 
thank you so much for coming down today. It's been, you guys have no idea the chaos that has been ensuing behind the scenes before and during the podcast. So yeah, um, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to, to speak to you. And um, yeah, just thank you for all the stuff that you've done over the years. Great. Uh, thanks, Josh. <laughs> it's a pleasure. And thank you all for watching. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Wide Awake Podcast and I'll see you all very soon. Cheers.